Johnny asked me to recount one of, actually, one of my favorite stories from the life of Jesus. Jesus and the disciples are in Jerusalem walking through the streets as they did rather often, at least several times we know about. They came across a man who had been born blind. Can you imagine being born blind? If someone said the color purple, you wouldn't even know what that means because you've never seen purple. And, and, and he's never, ever seen anything. And in those days, do you know what you'd do for your job if that was your situation? You begged. You found a good place with lots of traffic. Hopefully you had some friends who could help you find a good spot. And you would ask people as they pass by for something, for some money, for some food, for something. That was his life, begging. What a terrible situation. Wouldn't that be horrible to be in that situation? And, and, and sometimes in terrible situations, we want to find out who's at fault. And so as they looked at them, at this guy, the disciples said, Master, who sinned? Did this guy commit some sin that he's in this situation? Or maybe his parents sinned, and so they had a blind baby, and, and, and had to, and, and Jesus, I'm sure he took one of those deep breaths and said, basically, you don't know nothing. He says, you don't know what you're talking about. Neither he sinned nor his parents sinned. But he's this way. It's a demonstration of the glory of God. And Jesus went up to the beggar. Now, I'm told that people who are blind quite often develop much more acute hearing to compensate for not being able to see what's going on around them. I'm thinking this guy probably heard the whole conversation. Then I would think that if you're the subject of the conversation, you're going to kind of perk up your ears. What's going on? Maybe these guys are going to give me something. And Jesus comes over to the blind guy. And he spit on the ground. Then Jesus reached down and he picked up where he spat on the ground, and he made mud out of spit and dirt where people walk. And he rubbed it on the guy's eyes. Ugh. And he said, now, I want you to go to the pool of Siloam and wash that off. Well, you wouldn't have to tell me twice if I got spit mud in my eyes. So somebody probably helped him get to the pool of Siloam. Some kind person, maybe one of the disciples, who knows, helped him get to the pool of Siloam. He said, all right, here's the water. He falls down on his face. Ugh, he's splashing water and getting this ugh, off of his face. And, and there's, a, there's one movie 
by a guy named Franco Zeffirelli about the life of Jesus. And I love the way it's portrayed there because it gives you the point of view of the blind man. He sees some light sparkling, dazzling on the ripples in the water first. And it comes slowly into focus. And he looks up in the brightness of the, of the sun. And he goes, I, 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 can, I can see. I, I, I can see you. I never saw a little girl before. And I can see you. You don't look like her. You must be a little boy. And I can see you. And he went back to his begging spot. And everybody goes, who is that guy? Whoa. Boy, Tim, I love it when you tell stories. You know what's incredible about that? You get this picture of Jesus, and, and he just loves people. He sees folks in challenges and struggles, and he loves them. Folks that are in need, and he, he reaches out to them. Those that are calling out, hey, how can I help you? But here's something that explodes in that scene. Right after that, the, 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 the religious leader said, hey, this is not cool. He did this on the Sabbath. Can you believe that Jesus would pick a Sabbath to come by and see this blind guy? And, and, and they're kind of upset about it. But Jesus kind of comes in like a grenade and just goes and blows up the religion of that day. Do you like sound effects? Help me say. Come on, right? He just blew up the religion of the day. You know what he was doing? He was restoring the values of the kingdom of God. He was restoring something there because religion is about things that we do to get to God. But, but, but true biblical Christianity is God caring for other people. Him reaching out to us, not so much us making our way to him. He just blew that up. Well, why the Sabbath? It's so that God can reach into our hearts, Right? So here's the question. Where did that pool, Siloam, is that the way you pronounced it? Siloam, where did that come from? Where did the pool of Siloam, anybody been to the pool of Siloam before? Anybody in here? Nobody's been to the pool of Siloam. Do you know that there's a church that's built over what was historically known as the pool of Siloam, and they found out in 2004 that was not the place. Archaeology actually confirmed that what the Bible said and where it showed where it was showed that the Bible was right. How about that? Would you like to see a picture of the Pool of Siloam? Well, here's a picture right here. That's the Pool of Siloam today. It's got steps there. And you, right at the time that this picture was taken the the ground was dry there it was in a dry season the ground was dry there but here's the question how did the water get to that pool of Siloam 
How did that happen? So I'm going to show you a few pictures, and then we're going to look back into the Old Testament, and we're going to see something. Now, that's, this was tough. That's my brother Joe. He's with Jesus right now, but he's in Jerusalem, and I'm not sure. This is in Jerusalem. I'm not, I'm not sure where he's going there, but I wanted you to see his face because I'm going to show you something in just a few minutes of, of Joe. He's, he's actually there with, uh, with my niece Lydia, and you can see Joe right there looking out. He's looking out over the Kidron Valley. That's my brother Joe. This is about three or four years ago. He's looking out over the Kidron Valley. You see, the Pool of Siloam actually came from the, a spring called Gihon, and, it, and, and, and the water used to flow into that Kidron Valley where they had fruit trees and, and all manner of different trees. And, and something happened 700 years before Jesus came to, that, to, 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 to Jerusalem and told that man to go to Siloam. Something happened there. The, the water that came from that, uh, that spring at Gihon was diverted into a, to a tunnel that's about 500 meters long. Let's, I want you to take, get your, grab your Bibles and let's turn to 2 Chronicles and let's just look for just a minute. And then I'm going to take you into that tunnel. Y'all want to go into that tunnel? Let's go to 2 Chronicles and look at, at uh, verse, chapter 32, verse 30. Now I'm reading from the Holman Christian Bible. You got to get this now so we can get into the tunnel, all right? Verse 30 says, This same Hezekiah blocked the outlet of the water of the upper Gion and channeled it smoothly downward and westward to the city of David. So the picture is, the story that Tim was talking about is found in John chapter 9, the first verses 1 through 9 there. The rest of that chapter is the grenade going off. Jesus blowing up the religion of the day. But who is this guy, Hezekiah, that diverted the water? Have you ever had, have you ever, when it rains, has it rained around here, young, young, uh, Guys and gals, has it rained around here recently? Have you had like a puddle of water? And, and what do you like to do when you have a puddle of water? Yeah, play in it? Yeah. Just go step right in the, whoop, right in the middle of it. Well, do you also like to kind of break loose part of it so that you can see the water start flowing? Have you ever done that? Now, you like to dam it up so that you can have more water to play in, right? <laughs> well, <clears throat> Hezekiah took the water from Gion and he channeled it through a tunnel. And we're going to go into that tunnel in a few minutes. Who is Hezekiah? Listen, did you know that Hezekiah is a pretty famous dude in the, in the Bible? One percent of the Bible is dedicated to King Hezekiah. That's may sound small, but that's a lot. 1% is dedicated to him. He was a good king, and we'll talk about him in just a minute. But he diverted the water from the spring in Gihon, and, and it goes underground all the way over to Salome's pool. 
So he's the one that did it. So let's go into that tunnel now. That's my niece, Lydia. And she's in the tunnel of Hezekiah. There's a short trip that you can do that takes 10 minutes. The longer version, which is 500 meters that goes from Gion to Salome's pool, takes 45 minutes to go. And it's pretty tight. She said, I talked to her about this. She said, if, if, you're, uh, if you've been eating well, you might not want to try this because you could get stuck. And what they did is they started at, at Gion, the spring, and they started at Salome's pool, and they came all the way together from both directions, chiseling their way with pickaxes through this bedrock that's under Jerusalem to get the water from, from, from the Gihon Spring, divert it from the Kidron Valley all the way over to, see, uh, to Salome's pool. Why is that significant? I'm, we're going to look at this. All right, let me just show you just a couple of more pictures. I'm not sure if this is going to work. Is there any way to play that video? If it doesn't, this is in the, in the pool. Yeah, click on it, back it up. It's probably not going to work. All right, one more time. There you go. Look, at, watch this. There's no sound to it. That's how deep it gets. Lydia took this video. See how deep it is? It goes from ankle deep to almost waist deep. And she said whenever she does, do you use rubber boots? And she said, no, I've done it three times. And it goes up to your waist. I do it barefooted. And she said the water is freezing cold. And it's beautiful, clear water that goes underneath the city. And most people don't, they don't even know it's there. And most of the folks that go to see uh, uh, Jerusalem don't make this long trip I've got to put this one in here. You can't, this is the reason I had the picture of Joe earlier, because that's my brother Joe in Hezekiah's tunnel under the city of Jerusalem. Y'all, I cried several times when I thought about this. Why is this significant? That's Joe and Suzanne. Let's look at Hezekiah for just a minute. If he's, if he's so important, let's, let's, let's understand him just a bit. So if you'll turn back to uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 28, you'll find that his dad, his name is Ahaz. So uh, Hezekiah's dad was named Ahaz. And, and in chapter 28, it says in, in verse 1, it says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. So that was, that was four presidential terms in United States talk. 16 years. And this is what it says about Ahaz. He did not do what was right in the Lord's sight like his ancestor David, for he walked in the ways of the king of Israel and made cast images of the Baals. After Solomon, the, 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 the Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There's Israel and, and Judah. And uh, Judah was taken away into, I mean, Israel was taken away into captivity, the northern kingdom. And, and uh, Ahaz did what the bad kings in Israel had, had done, and, and, and even worse. If you 
Scroll on down to verse 22. At the time of his distress, King Ahaz, check this out, himself became more unfaithful to the Lord. He sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him. And he said, since the gods of the kings of Aram are helping them, I'll sacrifice to them so that they will help me. So not only did he, they carve images, but they began to make sacrifices to these pagan gods. Now get verse 24. This is really important. Then Ahaz gathered up the utensils of God's temple, and he cut them into pieces. Everything that was in God's temple, he, he broke them up and cut them to pieces. And get this, he shut the doors of the Lord's temple. That's what Ahaz did. And made himself altars on every street corner in Jerusalem. He made high places in every city of Judah to offer incense to other gods. And he provoked the Lord, the God of his ancestors. Y'all, Ahaz had been given a righteous heritage. He had, he had had something he could bank on from his family. And he squandered it. He did something bad. In verse 26 it says, this is a polite way of saying that he died as for the rest of his deeds and all his ways, from the beginning to end, they are written in the book of the kings of, of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz rested with his fathers and was buried in the city in Jerusalem. They didn't bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. But his son, Hezekiah, became king in his place. Now watch what happens. Hezekiah does something. Why is Hezekiah important? Look at this. Chapter 29, verse 1. Hezekiah, anybody in here 25 years old? Any of y'all 25? Are you 25? Are you 25? Anybody 25 years old? There's one. Jackson, worship leader this morning, 25 years old. Hezekiah was 25 years old, it says in chapter 29, when he became the king. Ahaz had died. Hezekiah becomes king at 29, and he reigned for 20 years. Nine years in Jerusalem. And look what it says in verse 2. He did what was right in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. In fact, in another place it says that he was more like David than any other king before or after. That's what it says about him. That's the reason 1% of the Bible is about Hezekiah. But three things I want us to see from the life of Hezekiah. I got sidetracked on this when I was in Psalm, 9, Psalm 16 a few weeks back. It was a miktam. We talked about it last Sunday. A miktam of David. It was a, a engraved in gold. It was a covering. That psalm was. Hezekiah ends up writing a miktam, a poem, in his life. But three things I want us to see from Hezekiah. Three things. Listen, if you can get this, you will blow up the religion around you, and you will see God restore what he wants to restore. The first thing that we see about Hezekiah is that he was a restorer. As soon as he became king, after Ahaz had done all of this stuff, the first thing he does, he says, stop, everything stop. We're going to have a complete reboot. And he said, we're going to go back and we're going to get everything back into order as it was supposed to be, as it was detailed. So, y'all, sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this down and just tell it. Okay? I got in last night about 
2.30 or 3 o'clock from Atlanta, from the, our worship team being there, leading in the, uh, the worship time in, in Atlanta, uh, starting front band, uh, what do you call it? opening up for Jesus culture. It was an awesome time. We came back, so I'm not very responsible for what I'm saying right now. But this is burning in me, and I want to get it out there. we got to learn from Hezekiah. I'm going to lay this down, so you're going to have to trust me. I'll give you chapters, and you can go look at it more, okay? But Hezekiah, right off the bat, he changes everything. He is a restorer. Ahaz was one that set them up in all kind of messed up religion. And Hezekiah was a restorer. And he was careful First of all, his heart was like David's heart. Nobody before or after. He was following after David. He was a restorer. He wanted to straighten out all the mess that Ahaz has done. So at 25 years of age, he goes and he says, No, open the doors of the temple. What did he do? He restored the temple. He restored a place of worship. And when he did... It says they opened the doors, they pulled all of the stuff that was inside the temple out, and they took it down to the, to the river, to the creek, to wash it and clean it all up, and got it all sanctified, set apart, prayed over, put it back in. And not only did he restore the place of worship, he restored the priest in worship. He called the Levites to do that. They came back in to be in charge of seeing this purification. And then he also restored the people in worship and they had times of deep intensive worship boy if we had time to talk about the passover it was seven days they they observed passover for the first time in many years and when they did it's supposed to be seven days after they done the seven days of meeting at the temple they said we're going to do seven more this time how about that that's a revival right they still want to hang out. Have I put you to sleep? Are you pondering this? Let me just ask you this. Are you asking the question, how can I be a restorer of what God is wanting? In the last few weeks, we talked about our New Horizons culture, and we've taken it back to Acts and said, we want to have a Jesus culture here, right? We want it to be based on what the Word says. How many of you know that our tendency is to... to uh, conform everything around us and, 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 and cookie cut it and religify it to where it's not a personal relationship with God. It's not that intimacy that, that Tim was talking about, being alone or lonely. He is with us. Instead, we codify it and we make it, hey, have I, can I check off my list all the things that I needed to do? The, all that can borderline you on religion. And let me just tell you, God is into blowing up religion still. Jesus is still blowing up the religion of man. Okay? Are you a restorer in that way? Are you looking back to the Bible and saying, God, what is it that you want to do? I'm telling you, we, if we just use God, use the, the, uh, the textbook that Jesus had, and that was Genesis through Malachi... We could see the kingdom of God and see the king and all of that. If we would be saturating ourselves with the word of God, it would change everything around us. 
Ask God to see you what we need to, to show you what we need to be restored to. What is he restoring in this day? Are you a restorer? Hezekiah was. The second thing is he was a prayer. He was a prayer. Not a prayer, but a prayer. God blessed Hezekiah. He had some great years, and he started blessing him, taking care of him. You know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything comes into order. But how many of you know that even though you're righteous, you're still going to have challenges in this world? And what ended up happening was the king of Assyria came down after hitting Israel, the kingdom of Israel, and came down into Judah, and he started hitting the fortified cities, like the strong ones. And then they sent a letter to King Hezekiah and said, hey, you better get ready. You might as well just give in. That's what the, this guy's name was, Sennacherib. I tried to find out what, what that means. I couldn't find it, but Sennacherib, I, I just thought, sin at the rib. It was just <laughs> Sennacherib. He was the king of Assyria. And he sends this note, and he's trying to threaten Hezekiah. And you know what Hezekiah did? He took that letter from Sennacherib. The accusation, the condemnation, the, the attack, he took that letter, and he rolled it out before the Lord, and he prayed through it. And he sought the counsel of Isaiah the prophet. Hezekiah was a prayer. He wasn't just a restorer. He was a prayer. Are you a prayer? God answered. Sennacherib had 185,000 men, that warriors, that were waiting to attack Jerusalem. After they called out to the Lord, the next day they went out, and there were dead bodies everywhere. Tens of thousands, some would guess maybe 185,000. But Sennacherib turned tail and ran. That's God's going pretty, pretty cool. I like this. You have a challenge as a you know, man of God, woman of God. Those things come at you. And then all of a sudden, Isaiah comes up and he says, Hey, Hezekiah. You got 15, you're, you're about to die, get your house in order. And he goes, are you kidding? You're about to die, get your house in order. You know what Hezekiah did? He was 39 years old. You know what he did? He prayed. He prayed again. Y'all, when righteous people, godly men and women, in the midst of the battle, when the enemy attacks, or when it seems like it's your time to go, if you pray, the Lord may answer and do what he did with Hezekiah. He was gracious to him, and he said, okay, you got 15 more years. <laughs> How about that? You see, when Hezekiah prayed with Sennacherib's situation, he not only prayed, he actually stepped out, and what he did, he said, I'm going to divert the water that's at Gihon. And, and, I, and, and instead of going out into the Kidron Valley to, to irrigate there, we're going to divert it all the way through Jerusalem to a pool of Siloam. 
700 years before Jesus saw the blind man. He prayed and he did, but y'all I want you to see, he, not, he was not just a restorer and a prayer, he was just a normal guy. He was a guy. Guys are getting together to go lift weights, right? Makes me want to be like this when I'm around Josh. Strong. Normal guys being strong, right? Hezekiah had 15 more years and he blew it again. You know what he did? King of Babylon heard about his success and said, I'm going to send a gift to him because he's got something going for him. He sends a gift and uh, Hezekiah takes the messengers and he said, hey, thanks for the gift. Y'all want to come see what I got? (laughs) There's some things that we need to be like Mary and treasure in our hearts and ponder them there and not tell, tell everybody about. But Hezekiah showed everything, all the treasures, all the riches, and all the armament. He showed it all to these messengers of the king of Babylon. As soon as they left, Isaiah came in and said, hey, what's up? Hezekiah, he goes, oh, nothing, man, everything's good. He said, who are those guys? Those are messengers from King of Babylon. Well, what did they want? Want to give me this gift? What did you do with them? I let them see everything. I wanted them to see everything we had, all the treasures, all the riches, all the armaments. Isaiah says, Hezekiah, that was not smart. And everything that you've just shown them is going to be taken from your children. You will live and and not see this, but your children will lose the inheritance that was theirs because you became prideful and boastful about what's going on. Now, y'all, Hezekiah was a normal guy, just a regular guy, used by God. He... Everything that he could hold in his hands, all the riches and the wealth and the security and the, the retirement plans and the, all the investments, they were gone. But I want you to see that even though those things that he could hold in his hands were gone, there was a channel of water that ran through the hometown that was the inheritance of his children. Hezekiah was a restorer. He was a prayer. And he was just a guy. What do you have? Y'all, this is, this is incredibly important for the kingdom of God. If you would be like a, a, a Hezekiah, a restorer, a prayer... And just be a normal guy. Even though things may go in and out of your hands. There's a river of water that can be, be used for your children. This is the picture I got. Restorer, prayer, 
And guy, you can be an RPG. A rocket-propelled grenade for the kingdom of God. And just go in religion all around you. Bring it back to the simplicity. In Hezekiah's mictum, it says in the end, as he, he, he speaks of what God's done in his poem, it says, the stringed instruments were lifted up and they brought praise to the Lord. God is restoring something to his people today. Will you be a restorer today? Are, you gonna, are, are we going to continue to just walk in the religiosity of the day? And I'm not talking about any denomination or any traditional church. The newest church has traditions. It's not about that. It's about that intimacy that Tim was talking about. That Jesus, is he walking with you? Some of us would think about the inheritance that we leave our children. Leave this inheritance. That RPG that runs through your bloodline. That provides a pool at Salome. That will blow up the religion of that day. So Father. My answer to you today is yes. If we strip it all down. And get down to the basics. It is you Jesus that we want. Would you do it again today? Would you spit in the mud. And put it over our blinded eyes and take us back to that healing pool of Siloam. Some of you have come today struggling and God's wanting to bring a fresh new living water into your life. Would you say, God, would you make me a restorer? Would you pray to him right now and let him do that? Well, I'm not, nothing special. God uses regular guys and gals. Blowing up religion and bringing us back to that simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. I'm tired. I'm probably going to sleep some this afternoon. But I really felt like today there might be someone that has been around religion all their life and have gotten nothing from it but legalism and death. And here's what I would say to you. Jesus is that, that river of fresh water that is offered to you today. Don't just believe about him. Believe in him. When we think about sin, sometimes we think about the taggable things in our culture. And so we talk about sin, someone might say, I'm not a bad guy. I don't steal. I don't cheat. I don't cuss. I don't But y'all, 
if we don't have Jesus, we probably are worshiping another idol. It may be materialism. That's, that was Hezekiah's problem. He got prideful about it. It may be our status in society, the comfort of our home. But we are set on a course that's walking away from the cross from the day we're born. If you want the streams of living water through Jesus in your life, you have to repent. Turn from the direction you've been going, even if it's in religion. And turn and face the cross, the source of living water into our lives. Repent. Change of mind that is indicated by a change of direction. And believe in in Jesus, not just about him. Would you be born again today? Would you say, I don't want to have anything to do with anything that's not what God has prescribed and set apart. And here's this prescription. That you would believe in his only begotten son, Jesus. That you would receive him. And that you would let him change your life. Would you say yes to Jesus today? Some may be struggling with this. I'm not going to pat you on the back and make that easy. Struggle until you get peace in your heart. It begins with turning to the cross and saying yes to Jesus. But y'all, God's wanting to take us further. Us sons and daughters in the kingdom, he's wanting to make us dangerous in the kingdom of darkness. He's wanting to make us RPGs that blow up religion and blow up the idols. I'm not talking physically. Don't go out of here and do something stupid. He's wanting us to show... Jesus to those around us to be that living water that he has become to us. We give that living water of Jesus to others. Would you commit to him that you'll be a restorer? And when the king of Assyria is attacking, you'd be a prayer? And when things are spoken to you, Hezekiah was sick on his bed and all he could do was roll over to the side when he talked to Isaiah and he said I hear you please have mercy God and God gave him 15 more years are you incapacitated by some kind of health problem some kind of wealth problem some kind of struggle with habits Let that take you to the deeper place of the river of living water. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So we say yes, Jesus. Now how is this going to change us this week? 
wherever we go, we're going to be simply and purely devoted to Jesus. Would you say amen with me on that? We're going to carry Jesus' culture wherever we go. Back to the basics. Back to the basics of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of that in, in Acts. Take us back to that simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. Y'all, I'm trembling and I'm weak. I can't even look at you right now. But I'm asking you, join me even in your weakness and cry out to him. I don't want to have anything to do with religion. Holy Spirit, blow through here. Change our lives. Make us more like Jesus.